Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's a haunting question. text in front of you as we look at uh, Eutychus and the long-winded sermon, which I propose to repeat here. <laughs> you notice that in the church we don't have any third-story windows. They're all safe, secure, first-floor windows. If you fall out, you'll be okay. Um, in, in a few moments from now, we'll come to the Lord's table, and there we will celebrate the broken body of our Lord Jesus Christ and his shed blood poured out for our salvation. But before we come to the table, there's a little thing called the sermon, and uh, we, we've got to get through that. Now, some of you have already shifted into what I call survival mode. Uh, you've already started picking out things to think about and uh, ways to get through the next few moments because, after all, sermons aren't good things. Not in our society, they're not. Um, after all, if, if you're talking to somebody and you get sort of excited and you're telling them what, what they need to do and this, that, what, what do they say to put you down? Don't preach at me. You know, it's like preaching is a bad thing. And it's not just in secular society. It's in, it's in the world of, and business of religion as well. Um, back in the um, Neolithic era when I wrote for the uh, Sunday school board, one, one of the editors you know, wrote on my manuscript, don't preach. I thought it was my deacons, you know, but they were saying, you know, don't preach. But, uh, uh, and, and the idea that somehow there's something wrong with preaching, wrong with sermonizing, uh, to the point that in some churches we don't do sermons anymore. We have a message or we have a motivational talk or we have a sharing time or something like that. And so we, we really sort of shy away from that word sermon because after all, that sounds too much like a guy who preaches until midnight and the people are dropping like flies, okay? Um, sort of like the Apostle Paul. Actually, the word sermon comes from a Latin word uh, that is used to mean conversation, sometimes to be a discourse. It's just the idea of, of stringing a lot of words together and having, having a conversation together. If, uh, for example, if in Latin you wanted to say, uh, can I have a word with you? You would use the word sermon. Can I have a sermon with you? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Because a sermon is supposed to be a conversation. Now let me point out that I'm going to do all the talking. <laughs> but it'll work better if you do the listening, okay. So, uh, so sermons aren't that bad. I, I have the problem that uh, uh, when I'm on vacation and I go to another church and I listen to the sermon, I'm, I'm sort of plagued by the technicalities of what happens in a sermon, for instance. Uh, you know, how do we use the pulpit? Do we hang on to it? Do we walk around? Uh, why did he move from the left side of the podium to the right side of the podium? You don't know why, do you? It's because it's my foot hurts and I'm trying to... No. <laughs> But, uh, uh, you know, and, and listening to what's the structure of the sermon and does it have uh, a content? Is it fluid? Does it, does it flow from point? You know, and I'm always listening to those things, and it's kind of a, a curse of the occupation. Um, but uh, anyway, this morning, just relax and, and enjoy uh, what we uh, are doing here for the sermon. Um, sermons are dangerous things. This, this may be one of the most dangerous things you'll do is listen to a sermon. I mean, if you don't believe me, just ask Eutychus, who went to church 
The, the Bible tells us, and we'll get to, to the scripture in just one second, but the scripture tells us that Eutychus was a young man. And there's a pretty good age group there, but he, he was basically a youth, a, a young person, and he was there in the church service. And it evidently is the case that he wasn't there uh, because he had this dramatic need to hear Paul preach. I suspect he was there because his mom and dad insisted and dragged him to church. I mean, it's not like Eutychus got there and he said, let me sit on the front pew. Oh, Paul, preach to me. I want to hear you. I want to sit on the front pew. By the way, thank you very much. <laughs> These are my friends. <laughs> no, Eutychus was sort of like, not like you, but he, he was that sort of person who said, let me sit in the back, you know. I might have to get out of here real fast. Let me sit next to the door. I mean, we, we, you, you just don't know. This, this guy might spit when he talks. I just don't want to be in range, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, Eutychus uh, positions himself in the back of the room, and he finds a window to sit in. Um, a lot of people say, well, that's because the lamps were burning, and it was hot, and he needed the coolness of the air. I kind of think he sat in the window because he could look out at other stuff. All right. That, that's just my guess. That's, that's the way people operate. Uh, sometimes youth even do that kind of thing. Uh, they'll, they'll distract themselves. I'll, I'll look back and they're, they're on the iPhone and they're, they're doing whatever they... Sometimes I'll look and adults are on their iPhone and they're doing this stuff. And I'll ask them afterwards. I said, you were playing a game on your iPhone. They said, no, preacher, I was looking at the Bible. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> What do they got, Pokey Bible now, and, and you're just doing that? But anyway, so Eutychus sets himself up. He's sitting, he's sitting in, the, in the window, and Paul is preaching and preaching and preaching and droning and droning and going on and on and on and on. And poor Eutychus, he, you, know, his, he, he just, he, you know, his mind just starts to wander into a world that knows no uh, boundaries, and, and, uh, and he falls asleep, and you know what happens after that. But the sermon was a dangerous thing for Eutychus. And I suspect and I uh, suggest to you that this morning that the sermon time is a dangerous time for you. Let's look at the scripture. It says, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, evidently to, to share in fellowship, to share in worship, to share in teaching, um, witnessing, testimony time, all those kinds of things that, that Christian believers love to do when they get together. We were gathered together to break bread. Paul talked with them, intending to, to depart the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. He kept going and going and going. You wonder what he talked about? I can tell you. Because Paul tells us what he talks about. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, I purpose to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. In other words, Paul said, I've decided that I'm going to talk about nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm going to talk nothing about how he sacrificed himself for a lost humanity, took our sin upon himself, and now salvation comes in his name. And all those who will accept him and reach out in confession that he is Lord and Savior will be brought into the great kingdom of God and saved for all eternity. I want to talk to you about the blood of Jesus. 
Now, there's a lot of things you can say about the blood of Jesus. Now we're not surprised that he went on until midnight. You know? You don't believe that. Well, I'm going to go on until about 4.35 this afternoon just to prove you can keep going. No, the, 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 the blood of Jesus is the rich message of the gospel. This is the message of the church. I like to remind my preacher friends that they don't know anything that the people in the pew don't know already. Did that make sense? In other words, anything you know up here in the pulpit, the folks know out there in the pew. It wasn't always that way. Forty years ago, I could snow you. Okay. Forty years ago, I could just make stuff up and you'd believe me. Right? I could make up dates and facts and stories and names and things like that. Now, you guys, you're on Google before the sermon's over. Right? You're looking that up, and, and on the way it is, Pastor, you got the date wrong, you got the person wrong, you got the quotation wrong, it was actually this, actually that. I am paranoid now. I don't use illustrations anymore from history. But, you know, it, 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 it's sort of a tempting thing to think, well, you know, we're, we're up here and, and we have these wonderful things and you're just dying to hear my words of wisdom about marriage and child raising and finances. By the way, I have words of wisdom on all subjects. But here's the deal. There's nothing, nothing I know that you don't know. Maybe this. You need Jesus. And you need him like crazy. And maybe this week you know it in your head. Maybe this week you know that Jesus Christ loves you and that Jesus Christ died for you. Maybe in your head you know that God will never leave you nor forsake you. But my prayer is that during the, the sermon time, the message would go into your heart by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit that God loves you so desperately he will never let go of you. And that the blood of Jesus is so powerful there's no sin that he cannot cleanse and no life that he cannot reclaim. And so Paul went on and on and on and kept preaching, and it got to be midnight. The people are looking at their hourglasses, and they're just wondering, you know, and, and they're just wondering, you know, when is this thing going to be over? But he keeps going on and on and preaching on and on because he is preaching about the blood of Jesus. Scripture says in verse 8, there were many lamps in the room where we were gathered Nobody really knows why that's there. I, I suspect Luke put that there because there were probably a lot of lamps in the room where they were gathered. Uh, but it, it brilliantly illuminated, you know. It's not like it was comfortable uh, for going to sleep. I mean, I, I never quite understood this, although I'm guilty of it, is I want you to stay awake during the sermon. So I led the building committee to pay extra money to put lumbar support cushions in the back of the pew, all right? Those, those, those cushions you're sitting against, they cost extra. Now, don't you wish you put more in the offering? But <laughs> they, they just cost more uh, to keep you comfortable, and so we're going to make you so comfortable you just sort of doze off. You know, what we really should have are just hardwood benches all the way across, right? <laughs> no, somebody said. <laughs> oh. But anyway, but they, they had lamps going on so they could, they could see and, and everything was going on. Now, verse 9. And a young man named Eutychus, typical for his age, I don't know what he was thinking about. He's a young man, so he could have been thinking about all kinds of things. We don't know where his life is. We've never heard of him before this, and after this paragraph of Scripture, we'll never hear about him again. But he's like a lot of folks. They just wind up in the sermon time, and, you know, it wasn't like a pressing need. They just happened to be there. And this young man named Eutychus, he's sitting in 
the window. He sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. That was a killer sermon, wasn't it? I mean, if you're Paul, how do you, how do you explain this? You know, you'd like to say, man, Peter, when I was preaching the, there at Troas, I had them in the palm of my hand. They were listening to every word, and everybody was just zeroed in on me. One kid died because he fell out. But the other, you know, everybody else, this was a great sermon. Or does he preach that sermon again? And when he gets to that spot in the notes, does he put a little note that says, skip this part, it might kill somebody? Uh, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how that works. I mean, was Paul preaching along, and, um, and he sees Eutychus in the window. By the way, when you're up here, you should try it. Everybody should try it at least once. But when you're up here preaching, you've you got two things going on. You've got the sermon going on, and then you're also sort of gauging the audience. You're, you're looking at the audience, and, and you're seeing the congregation. You're seeing the p people, and every now and then somebody catch your eye. You know, they're, they're doing something, something strange, like making pa paper airplanes. And you say, kid, don't throw it, don't throw it, kid. You know, and he, he throws it. But, you know, but anyway, you, sometimes you, 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 you get an, a, a, a consciousness of somebody, and, and, you, and you look, and you say, oh, well, Eutychus in the window. Okay, and you keep preaching, and Eutychus in the window. It's kind of distracting, so you lower your head, and you preach, so you don't. You, you look over, and Eutychus isn't in the window anymore. Now, I, what, what happens to me in the middle, I'm telling you, while you're preaching sermon, I'm having this whole debate to, with myself. Did I upset the guy? You know, why, why, why isn't he there? What's happened? What's going on? All I know is Eutychus isn't in the window anymore. Well, pretty soon somebody comes in the back and they whisper to somebody, and the two of them go out. I have no idea what's going on. You know, I think, well, there's something wrong in the nursery. <laughs> and then these two guys come in and they get, and about eight guys get up and they walk out. And there's buzz going on. By now I know, you better quit the sermon because nobody's listening. All right. Somebody mentions, you know Eutychus? Yeah, Eutychus, that kid. Can you believe what he does? I mean, every time we have a meeting, he's in the back snoring and all this. No, no, he fell out of the window. He's dead. He's dead? And thankful for a break, everybody gets up and goes out down, down, down to the courtyard. And they find Eutychus. Now here's what happens. The church writes Eutychus off. The church looks at him and says, he's dead. That's the end of the report. He had his chance. He'd rather sleep. He got what he deserved. He missed out. Eutychus is dead. But here is what Paul does. Paul went down and bent over him and taking him in his arms. I'm going to make two points about this. First, when somebody ignores my sermon like that, I don't feel like taking them in my arms. I feel like taking them in my hands, but I, I don't feel like taking them in my arms. You know, it's not like, oh, you know, Eutychus, it's a wonderful thing. You, you embarrassed me by dying during my sermon. You know. <laughs> Second point, that verb in the Greek that says he, he took him in his arms, it's used only one other time in the New Testament, and it's used to describe the father of the prodigal son when the son comes home and he's trying to... 
I'm sorry, I just saw Eutychus, and, and I'm over here preaching now. <laughs> and uh, I'll tell you later, Deb. She, she's the only one who would appreciate it. But anyway, uh, but it, it's the time when the prodigal son came home, and he's trying to say, Dad, I have sinned against you. I have blown the inheritance. I am totally wrong, wrong, wrong. I just want to come home. Let me be a servant in your household. And his dad won't let it get it out. Uh, the, the, the scripture uses the same verb for the father that is used of Paul with Eutychus. So he grabbed him and hugged him and embraced him and held him. And he wouldn't let him get through his spiel. He said, no, you're my son and you're back. And the hug of the father brought to life the prodigal son who was dead. And the scripture uses the same verb here with Paul reaching down and hugging what everybody else says is a hopeless situation, a life that should be uh, written off, someone who is dead, gone, forget about them, and Paul reaches around and hugs this kid back to life. There's no big deal here. It's not like Paul stops and says, Eutychus, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I pronounce upon you the healing power of the Holy Spirit. Arise, Eutychus. No, he just hugs him. There's sometimes when you're preaching, you just want to hug somebody because you know they're hurting. You just want to hug them back into the consciousness of the grace of God. Just hug them back into understanding that, no, your life isn't hopeless, and it's not over, and God isn't through with you yet. The most par powerful part of this sermon wasn't necessarily when Paul was expounding Scripture and explaining the gospel. The powerful part of this sermon it was when Paul stopped the words and hugged the boy, and he came to life. What I want to tell you is this. If your name is Eutychus, you know, and, and this whole church thing is just going right by you, and, and, and it's just not clicking in your head, what I want to tell you is that the love of God reaches out and embraces you and will bring you into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ if you will but turn to him. The power of the Holy Spirit is real and can work in your life right now. But I also want to tell you, if you know somebody who is a Eutychus, might be in your family, might be one of your siblings, it might be a parent, could be your child, but you know someone named Eutychus, and the church has written them off. In fact, admit it, you've written them off too. You've decided they'll never change, they'll never awaken, they'll never come alive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul would preach to you today is the power of the gospel brings dead people to life. And the love and the grace of God reaches down and embraces those who are dead and announces that there's life in them now by the power of the cross, the power of the blood of Jesus. That's a powerful sermon, but it was a hard way for Eutychus to get there. It's a difficult thing for Eutychus to get there. Well, Scripture says uh, Paul hugged him and said, don't be alarmed, his life is in him. And uh, when, when Paul had gone up, they ate, they broke bread together. He conversed with them a while longer until daybreak. Didn't learn his lesson. He's, you know, hey, that thing with Eutychus really worked out. Maybe I can get Demetrius. No. But in verse 12, they took the youth away alive and were not a little comforted. 
They saw Eutychus brought to life. I, I wish we knew what happened to Eutychus. I really do. We don't know, obviously, but we know something about that church. This Eutychus that they kind of written off, they were comforted when they saw the Holy Spirit bring him to life. And that's our prayer. Now, that's why the sermon is a dangerous time, because the Holy Spirit of God is at work to bring life to dead people during the sermon time. This isn't because of the person who's up front or behind the pulpit, the person who happens to be speaking, but this is because, as Paul says, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to bring salvation to mankind. That's the mechanism that God has chosen. Out of his wisdom, out of his design, God has designed that, that men would stand before people and before the church and would proclaim the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit would apply it to people's lives. I kind of think that for some of us, we might someday be standing before the judgment throne of God and what God will say is something like this. You remember that silly little man you used to laugh at because he couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag? You remember that guy who stumbled over his words and he got all his grammar wrong and he made five points and none of them made sense? You remember that guy that you laughed at because his stories never came out the right way and he, and he was halting and stumbling? You remember that funny little man that I put in front of you? What did you do with the word he spoke? because he was my servant and I put him there to call you to my grace you ever hear somebody say something like I went to church my whole life and I never heard the gospel you ever hear that I never heard the gospel time out you are a sinner you will die in your sins but the grace of God sent Jesus Christ to die in your place if you will confess him as Lord and Savior, God will take away your sins and give you life everlasting and fill you with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, you have heard the gospel. Don't you dare tell anybody you went to church and didn't hear it. But so often, it's not that we didn't hear. It's that we didn't listen. Our ears never tuned in. We never heard it. And that silly little man that silly little man was God's gift to you to hear the gospel. See, the sermon is a dangerous time for those who listen. It's a dangerous time for those who listen because there's something more than just a speech or a presentation going on here. We believe that the Holy Spirit of God is at work speaking to the heart, taking the faltering, shallow, inadequate human words and translating them into language that penetrates to the very depth of your being. And when you respond, you do not respond to the preacher and you do not respond to his designed sermon, but rather you respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in this place. It's a dangerous thing to listen to a sermon and treat it casually. It's a dangerous thing. Sermons are dangerous things for those who preach. I know that, that, that most of you, that, that, that's not really a part of your, of your framework right now, but um, it's a dangerous thing to stand before the people of God. And I'm telling you, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, I would quit right now. 
Because there really is nothing I can say that would convince you, but there is the Holy Spirit of God that will convict you. And the prayer is that God would use what happens up here, out there, in our midst to call us together into his grace. And the sermon is dangerous for a world that refuses to listen. I mentioned a moment ago how preaching has become sort of a, um, a, a bad thing to do, that sermonizing is a bad thing to do. Why we, the highest compliment you can give to a preacher, excuse me, a pastor, because you don't want to be a preacher anymore, but the highest thing you can say to him now is, is what a great motivational speaker you are. Why, I feel motivated. Why, even when you threw in that Jesus guy at the end, the rest of it was good without him. Let me tell you this, we have only one thing to say. Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for your sins, and you need him desperately. Anything else is fluff and not worth the time. The sermon is dangerous because through the foolishness of preaching, God calls us to himself, and we have to respond one way or the other. The good news is if you fall out the window... God's grace can pick you up again. Amen. So what I'd like you to do this week is to prepare the sermon. Um, no, no I, I, I don't mean I want you to get three points, a poem, a tear-jerking story about a dog who dies, you know, and a slam-bam finish. That's not what I'm talking about. I want you to prepare for next week's sermon by praying for the guy up front. Pray for the preacher. Let me tell you something about sermons. They get better when you pray for them. If there's a bad sermon up here, okay, when there's a bad sermon up here, <laughs> it's your fault. <laughs> no, here's, here's the thing, though. When you pray for the sermon, you come prepared to listen to God speak to your heart. And I'm telling you, God can speak through some very very tortured and misunderstanding and badly constructed. God can speak when you've prayed for the sermon. I want you to prepare for the sermon by opening up your heart, saying, God, I know you have something to say to me. I don't know what it is, but I know you have something. And for you, it might not be exactly what it is for me. I, I can't tell you how many times someone has, has gone out the door and said, Pastor, when you said X, Y, Z, that really spoke to me. And for the life of me, I can't remember having said X, Y, Z. Who do you think was talking? Come prepared to listen to the Holy Spirit. And come prepared to have your life changed. Come prepared saying, God, whatever it is, whatever it takes, whatever you want, that's, that's my heart's desire. So this week, would you do some sermon preparation for me? And when we get together next week, I'll ask you to deliver. <laughs> when we get together next week, we'll find that there's, the sermon is a dangerous thing, but only because God is doing wonderful things when we get together around his word. All right. I want to pray for us in just a moment, then we'll come to the Lord's table um, just again to celebrate that Jesus died for us, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us. That's, that's the kind of language that is archaic. Maybe you don't understand. What we mean by that is the life in the blood, the blood represents the life of Jesus Christ. He poured out his life for us. And because he died in our place, 
the sin death that we deserve, we have life everlasting. That's what we're going to celebrate at the Lord's table. But first, let's pray together, okay? And Father in heaven, I thank you again for using us for your glory. We know that you could have written the message on the, on, in, in the clouds and on the mountainsides. That, Father, you could proclaim it through the, the thundering of, of, and, and, and the lightning. But, but, Father, you have chosen human beings and the foolish practice of preaching that your word would go out. Father, make us sensitive to the work of your Holy Spirit. Touch every life, touch every heart. Father, bring the wayward one to yourself. Father, just embrace them by your grace. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.